0: Welcome, you're listening to Intentional Conversations from Mika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. This is very exciting. I am so excited. You know what we do here on Intentional Conversations Podcast. We take a moment to officially and formally introduce our guest co-hosts by sharing their accolades, their credentials, their experience, and the way that they show up in this space to do this work. So, what I will do is I will read our guest bio and then I will invite him to unmute and greet you in his own way. Uh, one of the great things about our guest co-host today is he is a friend of NWC and has been with us before. So this is actually his second time with us uh, today's guest is Jared Carroll. We're welcoming him again. So, so exciting. Jared is the head of product experience at Translator Inc., which is a DEI technology company. For more than 20 years, he's been in social justice spaces as a teacher, DEI consultant, writer, public speaker, and facilitator, specializing in guiding white people to confront racism and to be unapologetic anti-racist. I cannot tell you how excited I am for this conversation. Jared has extensive experience in Fortune 500 companies and facilitating difficult conversations and coaching executives to be impactful storytellers. So this resonates with me as a storyteller myself. His first book, A White Guy Confronting Racism, An Invitation to Reflect and ACT was released in November, 2021. An avid reader, accomplished musician, and active meditator, he lives with his partner and teenage twins in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I'm gonna take a minute. I'm going to uh, ask Jared to unmute and spotlight him so that you can all meet him and he can introduce himself in his own way. Hi, Jared.
1: Hi, Cassette. it's so great to be here. it's almost like a, like I recognized recognize that uh, introduction like maybe I wrote it or something.
0: <laughs> no. No,
1: but seriously, it's uh, it's so great to be here. And you're right, you know, Nick and I we met, gosh, t- early 2020, and then I was on on the show. I think it was like June of 2020, which, as we all remember, was a you know pretty intense time uh, and an important time. Um, but yeah, you covered pretty much. You know, what I do, the only one, what, what I would add, uh, that you know, because a lot of people, I get this question, whether I'm on a show like this or, you know, in just so many different spaces, you know, what you're a white guy, like, you know, why are you doing this work, right? And we can delve into all that stuff. Yeah. But the main thing that's, you know, really that, that brought me into this work 22 years ago was the death of my father, who was a gay man, uh, and he died of AIDS. And so I like to say that I was born in 1973. So you can do the math if you want to figure out my age, um, which was the year that the APA finally depathologized homosexuality. Mm. So the reason I was born is because my father, you know, he knew he was gay or he knew he was something. Maybe he didn't have the language, right? But he married a woman and had a kid because um, that's what you do. And then finally, you know, he had the courage and times and everything. So I like to say that I was born, if we lived in an equitable world, I wouldn't be here. So my reason for coming into this work, whether it's, you know, DEI work, anti-racism work, is very, very personal. And you mentioned, you know, storytelling is what what I kind of focus on, Um, using my own story to empower and enable and and model what others can do, but um, how we can individually and collectively and organizationally tell stories that are inclusive, that are impactful, that are powerful, compelling, and that are inspiring. So um, I think that's enough um, uh, that between what you covered and what I just said. I think, uh, you know, hopefully people have a little sense of who I am and and what I'm doing and why I'm here.
0: Yes. I love that. Thank you. I love um, getting to know what makes people get out of bed in the morning and work within this space. That is one of my favorite things. I value human connection so highly and, and, and learning, um, you know, uh, specific details about people, personal details, motive, motivational, uh, inspiring details is one of my favorite things. Um, one thing that I would love to mention uh, that we found out we have in common, uh, you know, before uh, our the rest of our community joined us is that we are both twin parents. So for those Thank of you... you- were with us a couple of weeks ago when I was the guest co-host you learned that I have twin 16 year old boys and Jared I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about um you know your twins and and maybe one of the uh I don't know best moments in in your twin parent life or one of the most overwhelming moments or anything that you'd like to share
1: yeah no it's great yeah um, yeah so I have 13 year old twins boy girl um gosh so many so many moments right I'm trying to, try to I don't even I don't know what uh, the the best one is but I guess it's just and maybe you know this is true for all parents I think not just twin parents but you know the evolution of their of of their relationship hmm. right and I'm you know when I when when we found out my wife was pregnant I was teaching actually at the time and I had I was teaching 6th grade humanities social justice curriculum which was you know so key to what I do now uh, and there was a kid in my class who's, uh, who had twin siblings who were in, I think like third, second or third grade. So I didn't really know them, okay. but I knew of them. And mm-hmm. I remember the, the mom came in and she was a pediatrician and, you know, she, she, she'd heard, you know, all the parents had heard that, that I was having twins. And I said, Hey, you know, how are your, and she had boy, girl twins. And I was talking to her and I said, you know, do they get along? And she said, Oh yeah, they're best friends like they're eight years old, but they still share a room. Like we'll put them to bed. We'll, we'll turn the, the light off. um But then like half hour later, we'll still hear them like talking and <laughs> sharing. and sometimes one will be in the other's bed. And so I re- I just remember her sharing those stories of her twins. And I, my wife and I were, you know, intentional about it anyway, but that just like, whatever we do, they're going to be close. Yeah. Of course, all siblings, twins or not, are going to fight and have their things, but we yeah. really, we don't, we don't buy into the narrative like, well, well, if they're fighting, that's just what kids do. It's like, no, like, so we really um, emphasize like you two have each other and you're always going to have each other. Yes. Um, if when, whatever else happens with friends, you know, they're in middle school, they're going into eighth grade in a few weeks. Right. Like, right. like, so whatever else happens with drama and friends and this, like you have each other and, and that's uh, as a segue, I think that's uh foundational to the work that I do in these spaces Mm -hmm. right like how do you set it in your intro like how do we build connections how do we center love how do we center humanity um etc so yeah
0: I love that I love that we have that in common I noticed for someone who is here with us also has uh twins in our community so um, you know, I, I feel like uh, when I found out that I was having twins 16 years ago, you know, I didn't didn't know any other twin parents, and that was very overwhelming for me. And as I've you know gotten older and met more people, there are so many people who who have twins. You know, I know you know talking with Nika at one point, she said, "Oh, I always thought it would be fun to have a to be a twin or to have twins." And you know, so many people say that to me, and I, I always say. Why? Like it, it is very exciting. It is it is very fun, but it is also very, very challenging. Um and you know everything is challenging, but it has um some unique challenges. So uh, yeah. so, uh you know, I have a, a number of interesting conversations when people find out that uh, I am a twin parent and I'm sure that you and your partner do too. Oh yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. Yep.
0: <laughs> so yeah. I, I would love to jump into this conversation. I have been waiting for this conversation. I am so, so excited, um, especially about the work that you do. And now knowing your story, now knowing what gets you out of bed in the morning to this space, you know, I want to jump right to it. And I want to um to hear from you about how you guide white people or organizations that are, you know, predominantly white uh to confront racism. How do you help them and guide them to be unapologetic anti-racists? I love that. Unapologetic anti racist
1: Yeah. Well, if 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 you if you will allow me, I'm gonna read a piece from the book.
0: Yes, please. But
1: actually, I think. And Nika may or may not re- remember this from two years ago. I'd be, I'd be impressed if she did, but I read this piece then because it's kind of at the heart of of what I think is the challenge for white people. Okay. And so this is uh, called Push Through the Discomfort. Mm. You're a white person newly waking up to 400 years of racial injustice. Good. We need you. Continue on your journey. Don't get stuck on the I don't know what to do about racism track. You do know what to do about racism. What you don't know is how to be consistently, visibly anti-racist. You don't know how to be associated with anti-racism in a demonstrable public way, public way. You feel nervous making the transformation, stepping into the unknown, taking a risk. Sure, you're concerned about saying the wrong thing, offending Black people, white guilt. But you're more worried about how your relationships will change with your white friends and colleagues. Jeopardizing the social capital you've accrued with white people who have never known you to be anti-racist. The people who don't see you as that kind of person, who will be surprised by the new you, who may tease, mock, and belittle you, who will ask you why you're so serious all of a sudden, whose friendships you may strain or even lose. You don't know how to navigate this, how to absorb the criticism, how to embody the new anti-racist you. Because you don't yet have the fluency and confidence, you feel awkward, anxious, uncomfortable, and you have to push through the discomfort. If you don't, nothing changes. And so- Wow.
0: Yes. Go ahead. Is that
1: every white person in corporate America? No, but it captures with, with some, you know, variations, a lot of what I think is the challenge. I'm mostly working with people who are leaning in to some degree, it's not like they're being forced to work with me or, you know, it's like they want to, they want to learn. Mm -hmm. And of course, and anyone doing DEI or anti-racism work is like, well, what should I do? Tell me what to do. I don't tell people what to do. So it's really getting past that. So when I say, you know, unapologetic is a a strong word, right? Like, and it, it, but it doesn't have to be aggressive. It doesn't have to be what I call like, you know, bomb, like we don't have to, we can move through the bomb throwing stage of our revolution. (laughs) Um, And so really helping folks, and I have kind of four principles that are, that I center and I'll share those in a minute, like really helping people with like how to be in this new, this new way, right? Um, and so there are four principles. One is social justice. Yes. And there was, for those of, you know, who who are on LinkedIn actively and who maybe follow um, uh, Lily Zhang and mm. Janice Gassim, mm-hmm. Lily wrote a couple articles about, or a couple of posts about, um, you know, this DEI social justice kind of intersection, and it generated a ton of Yes. comments and and dialogue and then janice wrote an article just i think it was just this week maybe late last week um it's re- they're both really good but they get at this idea like where does social justice kind of fit into the dei conversation mm-hmm. and i think it's foundational as a lot of folks do mm-hmm. now the challenge is like of course social justice in its historic sense you know kind of doesn't jive with like corporate stuff right but that doesn't mean the principles around like We have to recognize and accept, not accept like, hey, it's okay, but accept that it exists, that the world and corporations and everything is is inequitable, is is unjust. So centering that with I'm working with an executive and they're like, you know, it's like, hey, this is the lens that you have to start looking at because people who are living it and experiencing it, they're living it and experiencing it. They know it. And other people don't get it, so you have to be part of the change to help them understand how to to you know how what the what the lens is. Mm -hmm. So that's the foundation. That's sometimes hard because even if they're leaning in, they're like, "Well, what about and yeah, like this is just this is foundational truth." Yes,
0: yes.
1: And then the and then then we're actually working with like, all right, well, how do I navigate these spaces and these relationships and my power and all the things, right? Um, EQ right? Emotional intelligence, because yes. it's, it's easy to just say, yeah, go do this, go say that, and then you're done. But it doesn't, you, you have to be, as you said at the beginning, right? In relationship with love, with humanity, with empathy, with curiosity, with vulnerability, all these things, right? Yes. And then a third component, so social justice, EQ, third component is um, mindfulness. And it's not I don't necessarily lead people in meditation sessions, but it's like, how do we When we don't know what to do, when we're put on the spot, when we're at a, you know, in a, on a, in a media opportunity, all these things and we're nervous or we're being challenged or we're being, you know, whatever, how do you stay in the conversation? How do you stay present? How do you absorb that discomfort and move through it? Kind of like what the piece was. And then the fourth thing, which, you know, it's nice to circle back around is storytelling. Right. What's your story? What's your story, CEO or SVP or middle manager, right? And actually teaching and, and working with folks on how to craft craft a story, how to, how to unearth it and surface it, and then how to tell it in what context. What's your 10 minute story or 10 second story? What's your keynote story? What's everything in between? So that's kind of, you know, a, a high level overview of immersing people in, a way of being and thinking and embodying as opposed to like lists of things to do and not do.
0: Yes. oh my goodness Jared okay you said so <laughs> many things. you said so many things and I and I uh, my mind is racing right now. I, I want to amplify uh, you know some of the things that that you said you know jeopardizing social capital. Mm -hmm. Oh, that resonated so powerfully, you know, that, that conflicts mightily with being unapologetic, Mm -hmm. really about anything. And I loved what you said about, you know, this is foundational, if we all can align that this anti-racism work is foundational, and that's where we're starting, you know, I'm seeing in the chat, you know, jeopardizing social capital, true allyship. We cannot be true allies. We cannot be allies in action unless we are willing, we are willing to jeopardize that social capital. I love how you, you know, mentioned two powerful, impactful DEI leaders, um, incredible leaders in this space, Lily and and Dr. Janice. Uh, You know, I I recommend for all of us in our community, if you are not following, um, these two leaders, please do so. They, they uh, you know, they, they put out a lot of, of thought leadership that is, is impactful. Um, the other thing that I love that you said is, you know, you're not, you're not giving people a list. You're not giving them a bulleted list. Okay, this is the way to do anti-racist work. One, do this. Two, do this. So I, I would love to hear from you, especially around the, the fear the fear that people have in the, in this space. And, you know, what I've found from conversations that I've had with people, uh, white people have, have a lot of fear. Um, you know, there's a lot of that discomfort that we've been talking about and, and, um, you know, also sometimes it's, it's like, you know, well, I, I don't know how to join in the conversation. I don't know that this space is for me. So how, what do you say to someone yeah. who's by fear of doing or saying the wrong thing or, or by taking action?
1: Totally, totally. It's a such a relevant conversation. and and here's here's where I think the eq as as um, you know whatever we want to call ourselves practitioners, facilitators, leaders, D, you know dei, social justice people, you know Nika, you, me, Lily, Janet, you know we all there's there's lots of us, right? All the folks that come on on this show is yes, we want change, and that's why we're doing this. and, we have to know that there, you know, we have to find the best ways to make that change in the context in which we're working. Right. So I'll bring translator in. You know, you mentioned my, my job. Um, it's translator inc. You, you can go check it out, translator.company, and you can learn about it. But um, one of the the sessions that we deliver, so most of our deliverables are 90 minute um, we call them learning experiences. And there's a tech component and a social learning, right? So one of my favorite ones, which I helped build last summer, and and we've been rolling it out ever since, is called comfort zones. Okay. So we have all these little one sentence scenarios, Hmm. right? Your new boss is black. How comfortable are you? Right? You you know, and boom, and then they just, they rate it, and then we show it, and then we have, you know, there's curriculum around it. So what, what happens is, what uh, arises, right? And you have a group of it could be as small as thirty, it could be as much as one hundred fifty, right? Just depends on the client, et cetera, right? So then we talk like, hey, you know, what do you what do you think? Like, how was this exercise for you? And, and people come on, and what always happens invariably is like someone, you know, is, is vulnerable and they say, yeah, you know, I was uncomfortable with that question because it made me think about this. I don't know what to say, and I don't have a lot of experience or you know proximity. And we go, hey, great, thanks for sharing. And then someone else will say you know, it's hard to be the only black person or the only trans person or the only, right? And they share that experience and, right? And we, we facilitate those spaces, right? And then towards the end, this is like the big reveal. So it's great. So it's like, at that point, everyone's kind of on equal footing, right? Yes. Right, we're, we're, we're uncomfortable for different reasons. Then we get to the end, we say, so remember when so-and-so shared that and so-and-so shared that? What we're talking about is degrees of concern, mm. degrees of discomfort. Level one is, I don't know what to say. I don't want to, I don't want to look stupid. I don't want, you know, all these things. Right. Level two is, I don't, I don't feel like I really belong here. Like people aren't really actively including me. I'm the only whatever Mm -hmm. level three is I don't feel safe. Yeah. I don't feel safe psychologically, physically here. I need to, I need to leave.
0: Right.
1: And so we reveal that. And then the takeaway is don't let your level one trump someone else's level three, because they're not the same.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: So there's a validation of like, hey, we're not saying, you know, you should be, uh, we're not shaming you Mm -hmm. that you don't know what to say. Right. We're just saying, hey, that's real. And this is real too. And you need to push through the discomfort so that you can contribute to environments and context so that there is less of level three.
0: Mm.
1: So that's, kind of the the thinking um and it's really powerful because a lot of people like okay i get it
0: yes yes that is (laughs) you know so powerful i i love that you mentioned psychological safety you know we've talked about that here on you know intentional conversations podcast and and i am i am um uh, particularly interested in psychological safety and and the role of you know um EQ and 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 mindfulness when we think about psych safety in the workplace and and the, and the four uh, the four types of, of psych safety you know inclusion learner, contributor and challenger safety and you know when we think about these these uh, four things that you shared with us you know social justice, EQ, mindfulness, storytelling and the ways that those come together for you to do this work, you know, I'm sure that you also talk about, you know, within those, how, uh, you know, white people can show up in DEI conversations in these spaces in a way that doesn't cause harm. <laughs> how do you, how do you do that? How do you help yeah. people with that?
1: So it's as, as this work always is, it's nuanced and contextual, you know, Michelle Kim, who's another person yes. who everyone should know about and follow and her book, that came out last, about a, yeah, about a year ago, last September, I think, mm-hmm. is, is brilliant, um, and she lives in Oakland, so a neighbor here, <laughs> um, she talks about this, like, everything is contextual, everything, right, so I just want to preface that with, you know, with your, you know, to answer your question, you. um, vulnerability is a huge thing, mm-hmm. especially if I'm a senior leader, right, or anyone who has a lot of visibility and kind of influence, right, in, in whatever community, whether it's at, at work or you know otherwise, is well. Hey, this you know I'm a white person. This isn't about me, so I don't want to center myself, right? Anyone on this call who does DEI knows the you know idea of centering and you know centering whiteness, centering white tier, you know all the things, right? But there's a difference between centering yourself in the service of of justice, of equity, of 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 you know t- of inspiration of teaching and serving you know centering yourself because you're egotistical and it's all about you, right? And so the challenge is, and this is where like the 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 um uh you know the storytelling kind of craft comes in is how do you share something that's vulnerable mm-hmm. and and lets people see you're human, but then that also uh, leads to something that you stand for that you want to see change that you're doing that your company's doing that you're involved with right so it's this it's what's called a public narrative and it was created by Marshall Gans who's a uh, who's a business professor at Harvard I believe and so the, the public narrative is story of self story of us story of now. I'm not going to go into all the details of it but because what happens and you see this all the time whether it's a social media post or a short you know video uh, thing that, a, that an executive you know something happens, right? Hey, we got to get Jim to, you know, do the thing. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, and some, his, you know, uh, comms person writes a thing and he approves it. And then he reads it or posts on social and they think that they're done. Right. And we, you know, performative allyship. Right. Yes. And so, but behind that, even if it's intentional, even if it's like sincere is the mistaken belief that the story of now is the only thing that matters. Uh, well, I, I believe, you know, it's easy for anyone to say, I believe, um, I don't know, pick a statement, right? I believe this, or I believe we shouldn't do that. Yes. What's, why should we believe you that you believe that? Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: that's where the vulnerability comes in. Yes. And so often it's like, well, I don't have any stories. I I don't have any race stories. I don't have any, it's like, yeah, you do. Most of your stories, because I know this from personal experience, most of your stories are non-stories. The time you didn't, do X, the time you didn't have to think about Y, the time you weren't aware of Z, right? And so really working with folks and then Mm -hmm. having them share a story that is powerful and compelling, Mm -hmm. but then um, shows vulnerability, shows some sort of dilemma. Yes. I didn't know what to do, but here's what I chose. It was great, or it sucked, or this happened, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And now I'm here to tell you that, you know, whatever the story of of now is. So- it's complex and, and, and nuanced and at its core, like the philosophy is very simple, be real and show people that you care and be in the conversation, not as a kind of an outsider little, you know, yes. dipping your toe in the water.
0: Absolutely. I love that we're talking about allyship. I love that we're talking about actionable allyship, because, you know, um, you know, I I see this in in the chat, you know, uh, Nika is with us, you know, just adding her, her comments in, in the chat, you know, and, and she said, you know, if you are a white person centering yourself in a way where you are leveraging your sources of power and privilege to advocate for racial equity, social justice, that's acceptable, you know, but to do it, to be performative, that is insulting, and it is absolutely harmful. And I'm so glad that, that she wrote that. I, I'm also glad, yeah. that, you know, we talked about, um, you know, becoming awakened to your own whiteness. One of the things that I uh, love to ask, you know, you know, in, in facilitation, uh, you know, when I facilitate experiences or, you know, even even in coaching, you know, I will ask people in the right context, of course, and Nika said this as well in the chat. But um, when did you first realize that you were white? Yeah. you know, and a lot of times people will look at me and maybe they think that I'm joking because they're not uh, expecting me to ask a, a question like that. Yeah. Um, but it is a very serious question. And it is one that I have found that um, a lot of people, they, they, they don't, they've never really thought about it. And they, they sit and they think, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know when I first realized that, that, that I was white and, you know, um, it's not, it's not enough. I, th- I think that it used to be okay to just say, you know, I'm not a racist. I'm, I'm not this, I'm not that. But now we have leveled up. The expectation mm-hmm. is greater. We must be anti-racist. And, you know, I'm just going to take that, that page out of your book. We must be unapologetic anti-racist. And so, you know, how can individuals, you know, speaking of allyship, how can they ensure ensure that they are being um, you know, active allies? What is one thing people can do today to be an ally? What do you, what do you, what do you recommend? What do you tell the people you work with?
1: So great question. Um, I start with believe people. Mm. If someone, whether it's a colleague or on social media or whatever, someone you bump into in the grocery store,
0: Yes. believe
1: people if they say something happened or didn't happen
0: mm-hmm.
1: it did mm-hmm. if they say they feel unsafe because they're the only black person in the room or in the store or in the whatever yeah it's true yes. so just get out of your system the what and the what ifs mm-hmm. and the is it really that bad and all that stuff just get out of that because mm-hmm. this is what we're talking about a mindset Because once you you can shift that mindset and start practicing that and catching yourself when you, when you, when you, you know, invariably will do it. Yes. Right. So it's not about being perfect. It's not about like, oh, from starting on August 12th, I'm you know, it's like, (laughs) right. It's like, so, oh yeah. You know, I used to, when I'd hear a news story or I'd, you know, read something on social media, I used to go like, what, you know, that person's just complaining or, you know, she's probably just making that up or exaggerating or, you know, cut all that out, cut all that out from your, from your mindset. And this is where like meditation and mindfulness kind of, you know, you can practice this. And it has, of course, all kinds of other applications outside of the social justice and, and, you know, DEI spaces. But so, so then from there, right, you start to see, Things differently you start to see people differently you start to see the humanity yes I mean the very first quote in my book is from Tarana Burke and hmm. she says you know uh, I don't believe your anti-racist work is complete or valid or useful if you haven't engaged with black humanity
0: that's a great quote that's powerful right?
1: mm-hmm. and so because then when you're in that headspace and that heart space, yes, then when things come up, you might not still know, know what to do, like sure. what to actually do, but you know how to be with that person and you say, Hey, this is I'm not, you know, I'm just hypothetical, right? Hey, something happened, to, you know, to so and so. I'm not sure exactly what to do about it, but I just want to acknowledge it and that it's not okay. And we're gonna figure it out as a as a company, as a group, as a leadership team, you know, whatever the context is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that acknowledgement, because that's vulnerable. Because yeah. leaders are supposed to know everything and have the answers. Absolutely. Like,
0: oh, you
1: know. Absolutely. So I think that it's a mindset shift, really, that, really is. that that is that is necessary.
0: It is, and and you know, I love that you talked about acknowledgement. You know, having that awareness, and and then you know, going forth with that acknowledgement. And when we think about uh, the the small cost to do something like that, it's nothing, right? It's nothing. Just acknowledging, simply saying this happened. And yep. now we're going to not only be aware, but we're going to acknowledge and now we're going to take action. And I believe that, you know, all of these four elements that you've talked about, once again, I'll repeat them for, you know, the edification of our community, social justice, EQ, mindfulness, storytelling, these all combine, you know, the mindset that we need to have this shift that you talked about, it will automatically affect or automatically impact our behaviors. And so, and the way that we show up, and like you said, you're not going to be perfect and it's not going to happen overnight. And that's okay. I think that that's part of the the learning journey. That's part of the growth that I believe we all should uh, go after as humans. And I'm especially interested about the emotional intelligence component. You know, that is something that when I was guest co-host on the podcast a couple of weeks ago I talked about is something that I am extremely interested in and so the role of EQ you know that uh, personal intelligence and that interpersonal intelligence the empathy the curiosity the self-awareness what is the the role of EQ in the work that you do
1: yeah well it's everything for, for, for me myself um, you know and then what I try and help others with right yeah. um, the self-awareness, so to be able to recognize your thoughts, your emotions, you know, as they're happening and recognize patterns mm-hmm. as they, as they happen, you know, over time yes. in relation to, you know, certain people to certain, you know, events, whatever it is. Right. So I think that, that, you know, recognition and then pausing, right. I mean, there's some new, I have seen a couple of commercials that's some like, it seems like a marketing kind of scam, but it's like some electrolyte water. And their, Mm -hmm. their, their slogan is like, pause for hydration, stop for nothing. You know, so it has this
0: this
1: (laughs) buff athlete, like doing, you know, running, you know, hundred miles or whatever. And it's like, pause for hydration and stop for nothing. Uh I was like, that's kind of, you know, whatever, clever marketing. But then I was like, wait a second, that's kind of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Pause to, to recognize how you're feeling, What's going on? What's how is this similar to what's gone on yesterday or last week or whatever? But then don't stop doing the work, don't stop learning, don't stop immersing, don't stop not to quote Journey, but don't stop believing. (laughs) Yes, and by the way, that was I'm not a Journey fan, but that's a whole I'm kind of a music snob, so anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. But, But you know what I'm saying, and so I think. And then the curiosity, I think, is really underappreciated in this work. Hmm. So when we think of curiosity, we think like, oh, that's neat. Yeah, that's a neat you know, song. That's a neat uh, you know, gadget. And of course, that is curiosity. But I'm talking about a deeper curiosity, right? Yeah. I'm curious about you. I'm curious about your lived experiences. I'm curious about what I'm curious about. I'm curious about what I don't know. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, I mentioned, you know, the reason I put music in my LinkedIn bio and my bio is like, I'm curious about, I'm almost like an, an amateur ethnomusicologist
0: because
1: hmm. I'll discover a house uh, artist or an African artist or a, you know, whatever. And I'm curious about the music. I, of course, I enjoy the music and the rhythm and the beats and the, the instrumentation and everything, but I'm also curious about where this music come from? Yes. like what's this about? Yes. Like, and, and so bringing that curiosity to relationships to people, hmm, I'm curious what is you know, we just hired you and you're the only black person on our team. I'm I'm curious about, you know, what that experience is like. Now you might not ask that of someone. Right. But the, the, you know, or you find ways to do it in a in a, you know, a, a relevant way, right? But that's it's true. that curiosity. So I think that's um because I don't know if it's the opposite of curiosity, but you know, judgment is so easy. It is. To arrive at a conclusion about someone or something or some interaction.
0: Yes. And
1: I think we need to move away from that as much as possible. Hmm. We absolutely tell me, more about, do. tell me more about what you're thinking. Tell me more about what happened.
0: Yes. Yes. Tell me
1: more about your perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, in our in our chat, you know, uh, Lenroy, thank you so much. You know, said strive to become courageously curious. One of my favorite quotes from Brene Brown. You know, she talks about you know it's hard to hate people up close when you lean <laughs> in, when you get to know people, when you open your eyes, and when you realize. You know, speaking of narrative and storytelling, you know, one of the things I like to say is, you know, behind the lens of every eye is is a story just waiting to be told. It's true. And when we think about the number of people we pass in a given day, you know, there's a wealth, a wealth of story. There's a wealth of life. There's a wealth of learning, um, you know, in every person you pass. And, and once you lean in closer, once you really take the time, you know, take the effort, expend energy in getting mm-hmm. to know another person, it's it's hard to hate people. Oh. It's, you know, oh, that I- judgment that you talked about.
1: Totally. And, and Nika, a few, a few minutes ago, put in the, in the chat here, um, Brian Stevenson, Just Mercy, the book, which is mm-hmm. such an awesome book, you know, his approach to solving for racial equity. Number one, get proximate to the problem. And I would, you know, expand that, get proximate to people. Mm-hmm. So the reason, going back to, you know, my personal story and my journey, right? I, so my parents got divorced when I was like two, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't know why. Isn't like they said, hey, you know, your dad's gay. And, you know, no one told me that this is the early mid seventies. Right. Yeah. And so um, I didn't know my dad was gay. I just knew he lived in LA and I, we grew up in San Diego. He lived in LA and then he moved to San Francisco when I was 11. I go up and visit him and he was just my dad. And I saw him four or five times a year. Right. Okay. And then when I was 14, almost 15, the end of my freshman year, he told me he was gay. Okay. And the reason that was so hard was because I wasn't I mean, I was proximate to him, but I didn't know that I was proximate to a gay person. Yeah. And so it was so foreign to me, like, what? I don't know any gay people now. I know one, it's my dad. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't, I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I was confused. I had no outlets, I had no resources. Right. And so uh, finally, when I was 20 years old, and this is in the book too, uh, I told my best friend, Amy, I said, Amy, I got something to tell you. She's like, yeah, you're being weird. What's up? I said, well, <laughs> my dad's gay. She's like, big deal. I'm like really? She's like, oh yeah. But like, and she was so much further along in her awareness and her yes. journey, and, and <sighs> it just opened. Oh, I was twenty, and I was a college athlete. I was drinking nine days a week, you know, and it was just—it was like I had this reputation, and that—that was the beginning of shedding all that. Oh, so, I think so much of the story, when you know, to bring it back into the corporate space, right, mm-hmm. is shedding who you who you think you are. And and letting go of that intentionally because you don't want to be that guy.
0: Yes, age, yes, right? anymore. Yes. So. I think also shedding your expectations and notion of who other people should be in your eyes, according to your own perspective and your own lived experiences and you know, all of that. And so, you know, this is a, an amazing conversation. I feel like we're going to be best friends now, Jared. I mean, <laughs> you're stuck with me forever. Um, I want to, you know, open up, uh, you know, for questions from our community, you know, please please. raise your hand or, or to, uh, you know, put a question in the chat and if you uh, would like I am happy to, uh, to ask you to unmute happy to spotlight you so you can have a conversation with with Jared instead of me hogging all of the airtime with him. (laughs) Um, So please feel free to, to do that and I will. um, you know, keep uh, keep an eye out for for your hand or or a question in the chat. Um, as we are waiting for that, I you know, I have a question for you because something just popped in my head about our expectations of others and and the ways that we almost put people in boxes and expect certain things of them that you know frankly we we shouldn't expect and it makes me think about tone policing Mm, policing mm. and and boundary setting And I'm curious to know from you you know can you explain the difference difference? Yeah,
1: so in the context in which it it applies to me mostly is because I'm well I, I'm, you know, active, I'm vocal, I've written, you know, so mm-hmm. as anyone who is, whatever your background, racial or otherwise, like you're going to get, you're going to get people coming into your spaces with all kinds of opinions and stuff. Right. And so when I, the reason I, and this happened about a year ago, maybe like September, October, I was you know, getting ready to launch the book and I was promoting it and I was, you know, doing a bunch of stuff. And of course, you know, 98% positive and excited and everything. But then there's people like, oh, who are you? And are and this kind of, this coming, kind of coming at me mm-hmm. um, yeah. approach that, you know, it was easy and and often people of color, but also some white folks too, kind of like, who are you you're not qualified. They right. were gotcha-ing me. They were yeah. weaponizing. They were, you know, gatekeeping yeah. all this stuff. And I, you know, my personality is like, hey, tell me more. Like, hey, I'm and trying to build a relationship, even if it's you know minimal and kind of superficial and online. And some people just they're not interested in that. And so I was like, okay, so how do I stand in my integrity while also respecting and, and being aware of the dynamic here at play? as a white man, you know, with some, with power, with, you know, writing a book, et cetera, and a person of color and with often other marginalized identities, right? So just being aware of that. And so tone policing is like, um, you know, can you please say that a little bit nicer because I'm not really hearing it. Right. And yeah. we know, you know, that that happens all the time. Does. Right? And so that's, tone, you know, boundaries is like, you don't get to talk to me like that. Mm -hmm. You don't get to disrespect me. You don't get to come into my space Mm -hmm. without knowing me, knowing my background, knowing my story, knowing my history, knowing, uh, you know, my relationships, my work and and attack me and disguise it. Yeah. Criticism. So that's the context in which I learned. And I remember reading, uh, I was like, I actually did a Google search, like tone policing versus boundary setting. Uh-huh. So I, wanted be, I wanted to be clear for myself before yeah. I kind of a, arrived at this and you know there are lots of different articles and stuff and I I, I found it um, you know some different perspectives to bring in but I think that's really the essence of it for me and I know that's one kind of context but I think the idea applies like how do you recognize what's true like criticism and where you do need to to change or to do things differently versus like, wait a second, this, this is something else.
0: Yes. Yes. It is. um, It is challenging to navigate the tension and to hold the middle uh, with that. And, And that can be, that can have some, some psychological implications tone policing can, especially in the workplace, especially in uh, organizational cultures, which have this as part of the fabric of their DNA, right? Mm-hmm. This this tone policing versus you know um, you know feedback giving versus criticism versus you know communication about about boundaries boundaries. And so, what what are some of the psychological implications? of tone policing and, and how do you uh, guide and help organizations to create a culture and you know policy to stop this?
1: Yeah. Well the, the implications, you know, the number one overarching I would say is it maintains the power.
0: Mm-hmm. Right?
1: Patriarchy, white supremacy, you know, whatever the whatever other power dynamics are are in place in that organization. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm if I'm if, if I'm a white man and I'm the, you know, I don't know, I'm the SVP of whatever. And I'm in charge of policy and assignments and projects and processes, right? And then you know, you come to me with a with a complaint, and I go, you know, cassette, like I need you to, you know, you're you're angry.
0: Mm-hmm. So I
1: mean tone and gaslighting kind of sometimes can intertwine, right? Yes. So then I'm using that as an excuse to maintain my power and asking you to change instead of changing myself. And that just maintains the power. And then you have what power do you have to, you know, it, it's probably limited. So then you have to get all strategic and like, OK, how am I going to fight this? And you <laughs> might who are my allies and what should I do? Should I go the legal route or should I go this route? And right. And then you're talking about energy. So when we talk about privilege, yes. more privilege equals less energy. Yes. So if I just get to go, you know what? You need to say that nicer. And then I go back and, and I just forget about it. Well, that didn't take a lot of energy on my part, but right. think of the energy now it has on your part.
0: Yes. Cause now I'm exhausted.
1: You're exhausted. Now you're to think about it. You're like, you know, that's right. And the whole thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And mm-hmm. then that just perpetuates this the inequity and unjustness of the system.
0: Yes. yes. So,
1: so it's very real. The, the implications of tone policing and, and gaslighting. Right. And And so much of this stuff, which is why we come back to this foundational of social justice. Yes. So if I'm a white leader, I need to recognize, even if I don't fully kind of understand it or I haven't experienced it or seen it or don't mm-hmm. think I've seen it, right? Like to go, hey, this happens. It happens at the individual level, very likely to people on your team or in your company.
0: Yes. And,
1: you know, hey, we get it. You're, it's going to take a while for you to start to see it and see patterns stuff, but that's the work.
0: hmm Mm -hmm. And so
1: if we don't do that, then it's easiest to dismiss, to get defensive, to, you know, what about, et cetera. Mm -hmm.
0: When we think about, you know, you talked earlier, you, you talked to us about, you know, the work that you do, the the types of organizations you work with, you know, there, there has to be such nuance um, of being invested in, but not attached to the outcomes of the work. How do you navigate Uh, that tension in your, in your life?
1: So, and I'm glad you said in your life, because it's also with parent, with parenting, with finances, with everything. I was was a college athlete. I don't really do sports much anymore because I'm an old geezer. And (laughs) So it's all these different things, but in the, in the, uh, in the social justice, you know, DEI space. And Mm -hmm. by the way, this is a, this is a Buddhist concept right around clinging. So people who have a mindfulness practice or who kind of have some experience Or familiarity with that or or familiar with this idea of like you know desiring things to be different than they are Mm -hmm. so it's this kind of it's this dilemma because isn't that the whole point of what we're doing we want things to be different than they are right we want there to be more equity to be more justice to be more inclusion etc right yes so but we have to be so that's the the thing hey I'm going to do my best in whatever my Emphasis are for me, it's it's speaking, it's facilitating, it's coaching, it's writing, right? Someone else, it might be community organizing or you know, program management, like whatever your thing is, is your thing and yeah. do that. And that's yeah. another whole other thing. Like recognize what is your thing so you can, you know, optimize your your impact, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna do everything that in my power that I know how to do, that I can learn from, that I can iterate, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna do it as best as I can with a very A high intentionality and integrity. Yes. And I also recognize that I don't have control of the outcomes. Right. I can't force anyone to do anything. Right. I don't, you know, and everyone's context is different, but we might not have the power to change the policy. We might not have the power to, you know, revamp the hiring, you know, policy. Like, Mm -hmm. so. Being invested in and doing our best to influence and inspire and teach and, and thing, but just knowing, Hey, if it doesn't happen, then I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep trying I'm yes. gonna keep doing it. I'm going to, I'm going to reiterate it. I'm going to try a different tactic. Mm-hmm. And so, cause if we get attached, mm-hmm. what happens is we get burnout, we right. get pissed off, right. we get, um, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to, I'm drawing a blank. Um, she's a friend of mine who gave me this, this phrase, like we get into the bomb throwing stage of our revolution
0: or mm, uh-huh.
1: like, Oh, you don't get it. And I was in that for like 10 years from like 2000 to 2010 ish, you know, my kids were born in 09. So I think there was a slight change when they were born. Cause I'm like, I got it. I got to mellow out.
0: Right. Like, maybe just slight.
1: <laughs> yeah. But so you know and you hear the pejorative like social justice warrior and all these things and mm-hmm. i'm not saying don't come with intensity and don't, you know i'm not trying to tone police yes. show up right yes. but i'm just saying be mindful of, of of how we stay relevant in these conversations in these spaces so that we actually do make the change that we want
0: yeah, one of the things that, um, you know, I, I have been fascinated by and, and still processing and, and trying to figure out exactly where I stand on it is, you know, the the corporate uh, stance on, uh, you know, taking a, a public stance on, on social justice. And so um you know I'm curious to know what you think about that what's your position on corporations taking a public social justice stance and and how can social justice how can it be actualized within the confines of an organization.
1: Yeah. I mean, so part one of your question I do believe corporations should take a social justice stance. Okay. It challenges so many of them do, and it's so obviously to anyone who's paying attention that it's superficial, performative, uh, you know, a one-off. Yeah. So it's so to answer your question, yes, I do believe they should, but I also believe that there should, there needs to be more constancy and consistency and vulnerability. You know, all the some a lot of what we've been talking about. Yes. So, but you know, the reality is, you know, oh, something happened. Hey, Connie, can you write that, you know, thing for me and get it on my desk by, you know, two, it okay, uh-huh. looks good. Yeah. Can you post that to LinkedIn or. Right. Like that. And right. I've been in these spaces. I've, I've been inside corporations, yeah. big corporations that I know how comms works. Yeah. I know that most executives don't write anything. They don't write their own stuff. Yeah. Right. And I get it. You know, that's how, that's how the corporate world works. But when it comes to this stuff, it's like, no. Um, and then, and I, totally blanked on the second part of your question which was
0: it's okay uh, I said a bit of a mouthful <laughs> how can social justice be actualized oh, with yeah. some kinds of an organization
1: well that's what the you know that's what the heart of Lily's and you know Lily's posts and Janice's article were about and I'd like I like what Janice said I don't remember the exact quote but something like you know we may never be able to fully liberate, because if you think about the purpose of justice, it's liberation, right? Individual, collective, right? Yes. We may never really be able to see that actualized in, in any given company. Maybe there are a few exceptions who are really, truly bought in as a, you know, as a company, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean we shouldn't keep uh, striving for it. That's so right. it's actually an example of the being invested in but not attached to the outcomes cuz what can happen is like well justice is never really going to happen in this in this space this company this department this team whatever the context is so what you know we shouldn't even try for it it's like mm, that's that's kind of given up so how do we how do we keep the principles you know of social justice uh, and keep teaching keep normalizing these conversations so that we do make progress mm-hmm. we might not get to you know, where it's a truly liberated, you know, anything, space, yeah. company, but if we, if we don't keep trying, then why are we doing this work in the first place?
0: Absolutely. I mean, like you said, you know, don't, don't stop believing, right? Like, I think <laughs> the things that Nika talks about a lot, and and that I, you know, believe as well as, you know, um, even though there's so, there's so much going on in the world. There's so much pain. There's so much injustice. There's so much heartache. There's so much um, inequity and unfairness. Um, but if we are not um, audaciously hopeful, uh, you know, then then what's the point, right? Yeah. What's the point. Um, and so, you know, for me, I want my actions to uh, disrupt you know, disrupt this, the the narrative of the privileged majority. I want my actions to have a positive impact. I want my actions to, uh, to increase human connection and, and belonging for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how, you know, Tell tell us about, you know, in our in our last couple of minutes here. I really want uh to, to leave us on an inspirational, hopeful note. And and you know, just around your yeah. your book and, and your hope and, and why it needed to be written.
1: Well, you kind of cued me up, whether intentionally or not. Like you said, I want my actions to right? Yeah. That's what people have to figure out. What do you want your actions, your thoughts, your relationships, your behaviors, your impact to be? Mm -hmm. And that can, you know, goes back to storytelling that can come from so many different, you know, places, right? So for me, and I imagine for you, because as a parent, you know, of twins, as we've talked about, like, I want my actions and my legacy to be uh, clear and visible and, uh, and impactful so that my kids not just my kids but obviously they're kind of to see like to to know how i expect them and and want them to be in the world they're 13 i don't know what they're going to do with their i don't know are they going to be in social justice Yeah, maybe maybe not i don't know i mean i'm not trying to drive them any any specific direction right but that, so what is each one of us you know on this call or anyone what do we want to be and just as importantly if you're you know, depending on where you are on the journey and the transition and the transformation, like what do you not want to be? Uh-huh. Like I didn't want to be that guy anymore mm-hmm. who didn't care, didn't know, didn't wasn't curious, didn't have compassion, didn't have empathy, wasn't proximate to people. So I intentionally changed. yes, so that's my that's my inspiration uh, for the end here.
0: I love it. I love it. That intention so important. Oh, Jared, thank you so, so much for being here with us. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to have talked with you. Uh, yes, I'm seeing comments in the chat. Very grateful for yes. this inspiring conversation. We will definitely be in touch. Like I said, we're best friends now. You're not getting rid of me. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Thank you to everyone in this amazing community. Thank you for joining Intentional Conversations Podcast. Have an amazing weekend and we will see you next week.